to the Shop Talk Podcast, brought to you by 124Go. I'm your co-host, Chris Fulamay, and as usual, sitting here with my great friend, Mr. John Palmieri. And we have a repeat guest today, a three-peat guest today. He's our first three-peat. He's, you, Jay, you're our first three-peat. That's how much we like you. Okay. Um, and so if you... He said for being the first. <laughs> so if I'll let listen, you say it, though. <laughs> so if you've been listening to our podcast a while, you've probably stumbled upon one of our episodes with Mr. Jay Williams. So first of all, welcome, Jay. Thanks for being here again with us. Oh, I should thank you guys. I always enjoy the, the conversation. Uh, likewise. And, you know, not only is it enjoyable, but as I was saying to you, you know, just moments ago, the, the thoughtfulness and the approach that you bring to our the regular way that we approach our daily lives, I always find inspiring. For those of you who are maybe just meeting Jay for the first time, Jay lives inside of and outside of the salon industry. So you've evolved as your speaking career and your consulting career and your helping career, as I, as I, as I think of you. You're, you're somebody that really helps people a lot, certainly this year through the pandemic and things like that. You did a lot of pro bono work and that sort of thing. But you're also a high-level leader in the salon industry. And like I said, you humanize or you uh, see a relevancy in the fact that many of the struggles that we have in the salon industry are the same struggles that we have in humanity. And so your approach has really taken that in your work. So you're a multiple book author now. So Leave Your Mark being your first book and you just are releasing or launching your second book, which is This Versus That, Better Thinking, Better Choices, Better Leader. And you just said something that was beautiful as we were, we were walking into this. You know, you said you, you love to leave people with information that's clear, concise, and compelling. And I think you do that in every conversation. So we're thrilled to have you back again. Mm-hmm. John, why don't you start us out? Let's not make Jay wait anymore. You, we had, you know, doing a, did our homework beforehand and kind of did a little research on, you know, your book at the moment. And one of the things you were so kind to do was send uh, the uh, inside of your book where you had the table of contents. Your first chapter is trust. And I want to start there. I, I think it's the foundation. So it was intentional. Now, I just want to share with the rest of the book. You can pick up any chapter anywhere. They're standalone chapters. This one was the foundation because I believe that trust is the new currency in which we operate off of. And I think as people communicate, and even as you listen to the news and you know, politics has really hijacked that landscape these days, you hear that word trust over and over and over. And as I put it out there, I think you guys are going to later on today, you're going to hear someone mention, I just didn't trust them. I don't trust that store. I don't trust that stylist. I don't trust that guy. Mm -hmm. And we don't realize that we do use this as part of our our verbiage and our terminology. And to your point, John, it is our thinking. Amy Cuddy, social psychologist, and when she was writing her book, Presence, in her research, the thing that really stood out in the book is she said that instinctually human beings look for two things in every single interaction. And one of them is trust. And so I started the book out there and I'll share this with you. Every book I write will always have that chapter in it. So when you look at the first book, Leave Your Mark, because I don't know who's gonna read which book and if they'll read both books, whether they do or not, it's constructed a little bit different in this book. 
However, it's no less than important. And if you don't have trust in a relationship, then the rest of the book doesn't matter. So I just want to save the reader. If they don't buy into that, you don't have to read the rest of the book. Are, are we losing trust as a culture? You know, and I say that it, it can be the salon industry. You know, it can be the country as a whole. It can be Chris and I, right? Are we losing trust or is it just become a buzzword? I want to offer an educated response and I want to validate it. So what I would say is if you're listening to this, hit pause and type in how many Americans trust the president of the United States? What is the trust rating of other countries with the United States? And so I use that term, it's the new currency, not tongue in cheek. That is how we measure relationships now as a level of trust. And so I, I want you to do that research on where the trust level is with the United States, where our trust level is with our political parties, with our leaders. And so has it lowered? If you look at those barometers and those metrics, the answer unequivocally is yes. So I, I want to give you a caveat before we go any further is that trust varies from person to person, and from task to task. So your trust level with me to be a guest on your podcast could be dramatically different than your trust level with me to do a haircut in the salon. Sure. Does that make sense? It's very simplistic. Yep. So you as a leader might have an organization and a team Instead of saying, well, I don't trust this person, mm -hmm. I would start off as where do I trust them? Mm -hmm. And I, must, I might trust them from a collaboration standpoint. I might trust them from a technical standpoint. I may not have the same trust level as it relates to follow through with mm -hmm. them. I may have a higher trust level with them as a manager mm -hmm. than I do as a leader. Sure. Or vice versa. So I just want to give context. It will vary from task to task, person to person. Let me give you a working definition of trust. So just that we're all, uh, what I find, and I write about this in the book, is that my experience is we're all using the same words. Mm -hmm. Disconnect is we define them differently. So I'm just going to give a common definition. It's not the, it's one that I've been drawn to. So Stephen Covey Jr. in his book, Speed of Trust, laid it out as simplistically as you can. So I won't try and reinvent the wheel, but here's what he said. Trust is a combination of character and competence. So if you're with me and you're in a relationship, whether it's personal, it's professional, it's, it's with uh, Tesla, Bose, it doesn't matter. These are the two things that you're looking at, mm -hmm. character and competence. Character is made up of your intent, why you do something. And integrity is, do you do what you say you're going to do? So I want to pause there. And if you look at a political landscape, and when I say political landscape, by the way, this is bipartisan. This is not any party. Right. People are looking, they ask, well, why did that politician do that? I know why they did that. They got funding for that, right? You, you know, do you see where I'm going? They are looking at why they did something that does determine the trust level. Now, if somebody does something quite altruistically, you, you have a different trust level mm -hmm. with them, right? 
Right. And so that's your intention is why you do something. Integrity is do you do what you say you're going to do? So I'm going to the political landscape only not to discuss politics. It's just an example that has universal applicability. We're right. looking at our people, our politicians, and just saying, did you do what you say you're going to do? So now we're looking, we're comparing 2016 to 2020. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about our president. It could be senators and governors and, and local Perfect. politicians. But whether we use that word trust or not, that is, to your point, John, what we're measuring. Mm -hmm. The higher the level of trust, Mm -hmm. the higher the likelihood this person Mm -hmm. will win the election. The lower the level of trust, the less the likelihood. Uh, And, you know, what's interesting is it kind of highlights, and I don't want to go down a political road, right, because that's not what this podcast is about. But I think it touches a little bit about leadership, and that's where I want to go with this. I think depending on which side of the aisle you reside on, right, you can look at, at the same leader and say, I, I'm i okay with their character because to use your language, I understand what their intent is, right? Now, the disagreement is whether or not, you know, Chris believes that that intent is accurate or whether or not I believe it's not accurate, right? And then the same thing with competence, right? Where I believe that this person is competent because the results they're getting are results I want to see, right? And then somebody else will say, well, no, he's not competent or she's not competent because the results I want to see aren't happening. So you can have the same leader and have two different groups or two different people diametrically opposed to whether or not that person's a good leader or not, but because we kind of look through our own lens of does that intent align with what we want for intent? And does that competency align with what I want to see gets done? And I think that's where a deeper conversation with any leader in any company has to do with any of the people they influence. Does that make sense? You articulated it well. What do you think, Chris? I've been practicing all day. 100%. And this doesn't make perfect. It does make better. Right. And sometimes, I mean, it obviously didn't work for my pitching in baseball. That's for sure. Um, You're better than you were. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who are longtime listeners, I'm going to make my accusation to John that maybe you went a little far too fast on this. On this. Oh, don't worry. You think it goes at, too far at, now. Yeah. Just uh, wait. So I'm going I'm to put the brakes on for a second right. um, for multiple reasons. One. If, if you are just getting to know Jay for the first time, I want to set a little more of a context around the book, This Versus That, and in the clear, concise, compelling piece and the better thinking, better choices, better leader. We had talked a while back, and I don't know if you'll give the same answer, but any answer you give is you know the right one today, about why you were compelled to write this, this book particularly in the style that you wrote it. And I want to talk about that for a little bit to set a little bit of a context of the overall book and who it kind of serves sure. and, the, and the purpose for the way you laid it out, because it's pretty unique. I, so first of all, thank you, because that was intentional. So I, I want to, before I do that, though, because I feel so I may have left people with half an answer. Yep. So I so want to talk about what you talked about. Yeah, so yeah, please perfect. don't lose that. Let me just complete the trust thing. As I talked about character, the other side of that, John, you alluded to the competence has to do with capabilities and results. Capabilities, can you do it? Results, have you done it? Mm -hmm. So if you guys are taking notes, whether it's mental or written, is that trust equals character plus competence. Character is your intent, why you do something. 
integrity, do you do what you say you're going to do? And then the confidence has to do with your capabilities. Can you do it? And the results, have you done it? And John, you articulated something that ends up being a pinch point in communication because we use the same word trust and you gave a situation where it's the same person, yet the way the person interprets either their intent or their results drives a different level of trust. So it's imperative as a leader that one, you understand how you define trust, how you get trust, because some people, it's yours to lose. You go to the Midwest, you guys travel quite a bit. It's yours to lose. I trust you. You go to either coast, a little bit different, mm -hmm. right? You have to prove it. So it's, you have to earn it. So I just want to make that distinction. And then understand how your audience, your people who are following you, you're collaborating with, how they define trust. So I appreciate you hitting those points. So if you're listening, character and competence, intent, integrity, capability and results. Let me just give you a recent example. This happened during this COVID time. I was talking to an owner and the owner with the PPE had the opportunity to help his people out by giving them a bonus. So simultaneously, just because it was dated, he rewrote all the agreements after 18 years because I had some free time on my hands or newfound flexibility. Sorry, my schedule, newfound flexibility, <laughs> not freedom. And so he rewrote the agreements and he gave them to his people. And he said, if you sign it, there's a $500 bonus. His intention was to use the PPE to help those people that may need the money. Mm -hmm. Do you know how they interpreted his intent? Oh, you're coercing us into signing a new agreement. And so to your point, the agreement was what it was. It was people's evaluation of the intention. Now, human nature, we judge ourselves by our intentions. My friend's intention was to help. Others judge us by our actions. Those people saw quid pro quo. I signed the agreement. I get a $500 check. Right. So I just, just to bring closure to yeah. that topic, and I do want to get to the structure of the book. So did that wrap that up in a neat bow that? Yes, I loved it. Trust, okay. So thank you, Chris, for asking that question about the book because this book is different than the other book. In the first book, it was, um, I wanted to fully explain things. I even put exercises at the end of the chapters. Here's the feedback I got. Jay, I read your book. I loved it. I didn't do any of the exercises. I'm going to go back and do them. Right. And so I was like, okay, I get this. And then as I was doing some research, some people aren't looking to be held accountable. In a book, you can do a little bit too much with people with exercises. And the other thing I realized is that this book was not to teach you something uh, new and different, really. Because when you... And I see you raising your eyebrows. When you read the book, one of my opening comments is, is you're going to read this and go, you know what? This is all common sense. But that wasn't my goal. That's not the filter I wanted you to use. I want you to ask yourself, is this common practice? Because the gap I saw was not ability. It was willingness as I was working with companies, regardless of the industry. People have an overwhelming access to knowledge and information. Overwhelming yep. for free, by the way. Yeah. And so the gap that I saw was not knowing it was doing. So Chris, the book, I don't need to talk people into these ideas and describe what they know what they are. 
It was about better thinking about these choices and could you make them quicker? Because what I'm seeing with leadership um, is that it has to happen far quicker than it's ever happened, mm -hmm. far quicker. And the human being's attention span, by the way, when I was doing the research, Microsoft had the most recent uh, research, eight seconds, eight seconds. The goldfish is nine seconds, just to give you a point of reference. Mm -hmm. So the intention behind the book was to be clear, concise, compelling, because I think this is the style that leaders need today. You're not going to have someone's attention for five or 10 minutes to sit and to listen to you pontificate right. on your leadership style. Mm -hmm. And the and uh, that's thanks for clearing that up and kind of giving that explanation. And the other thing that you had shared, and maybe, maybe you even said this in our warm-up conversation, that one of the areas of opportunity, and this is where, you know, the listener, because not everybody considers himself a leader. Now, mm -hmm. you know, John and I think differently on that. We think that everybody's a leader if you're, you know, you, you communicate with people and you're trying to influence, influence people. Influence them, yeah. Right? Um, in some way, whether you're trying to influence people at home or, you know, influence the people around you at work. You had talked and pointed to this, the area of opportunity around, and I'm going to call it a mid-level manager, that the reality is is that they have far more influence maybe than they know, and as a whole, possibly far more opportunity for growth that a lot of our mid-level world, and if that's you own a small salon and you don't look at it like it's that big of a deal, or if that's you work inside of a company like ours and you're, you know, you have some a leadership job mm -hmm. or, a, you know, a, a leadership role. Um, but you had kind of pointed to the fact that this is a place where these people have a much bigger effect than maybe they even know. You know, in our businesses as well, so let's just talk about entrepreneurs, and I think you'll see the applicability across the board, but with, with our audience. And by the way, these, the challenges that salon owners experience or stylists experience, they are not unique to them. I just want you to know, not to make you feel worse, to make you feel better. When I work with other companies, they have the exact same challenges. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want you to think less of yourself or it has to do with you being a quote unquote hairstyle. That's not the case. If you guys sit in the same room, I give the same content. Mm -hmm. I just change the examples. So when you talk about this mid-level, you know, if you equate it to a company that has a CEO or you equate it to a salon that has an owner, the gap that I'm seeing, and I think this is picking up where our conversation was, was this mid-level. It's like, how do you get the heart and the mind of the, the CEO and the president into everybody, but starting out with these early adopters? And in theory, your early adopters are your mid-level leaders. They're the person, mid-level, not in a... Um, it's just, it's where you happen to fall because you're not, say, in our case, the stylist or the owner. Right, I'm trying just to... Yeah, exactly. The exactly. contribution you make. It's exactly. just where you sit. Exactly. And, and that is, could be the most influential point. It's the most challenging position because think about it, you're getting influence and conversation from the person that you report to and then from the people who report to you. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a, it can be a difficult position. I think the opportunity for this person, the idea with this book is that it would be a reference guide, a conversation starter, that literally someone who owns a company 
could say, you know, conversation versus confrontation. We seem to have more confrontations or every conversation turns into a conversation, a confrontation that they could hand this book and go, you know, just read this chapter. And by the way, the chapters with the exception of one or two, and there's over 20 in there, shouldn't take you more than three to five minutes to read. If I cannot be that clear, concise, and compelling as a leader, I need to go revisit my style because mm -hmm. you're off to a flying stop. Mm -hmm. So for this person who falls in the mid-level, you can now use this as a conversation starter or a playbook. Chris, you could come to me in my role in the middle. Let's just say in the middle instead of mid-level because right. it's yeah, where yeah. you're at. Yeah, I wasn't meaning that to the listener in, it, in any sort of a derogatory way. I was trying to make a definition that I was losing words for. So. No, you're perfect. You were perfect because I think you painted a picture for them. So just switching the word. And one of the things that I would say is that I'm very mindful of words. And as a leader, as and you use the word better, the, the uh, leader is an influencer because I've seen people that don't have the title, yet they influence. They influence from the back bar, from the front desk, from behind the chair, right? Haven't you even gone to a Whole Foods and you've seen someone who checks you out? They're a leader. They are influencing. People are helping them, supporting them. So for that influencing position, for this person that finds himself in the middle, these are the skill sets in the book that I saw were pinch points for them. One of the studies, the most recent study, the number one trait that's preventing people from being the most effective leader mm -hmm. is humility. Mm -hmm. And so in the book, I write about humility versus hubris. And so your point is well taken because it's from those ranks that's going to develop your succession planning. As working, um, and I don't mean this boastfully, again, it's just to give it context. And I want the listeners, if they're entrepreneurs, to know that what you're experiencing that's awesome. This is the journey that, that CEOs go through. And that's what, whether you have five or six people, you're still a CEO and president of your company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I sat with this global engineering company and there was their CEO, their CFO, their president and six vice presidents. And I asked them, how many managers do you have? And what do you think they did? They pulled out the organizational chart and they gave me an exact number. Mm -hmm. I said, how many leaders do you have? To this day, and that's now nine months ago, I still haven't gotten an answer. They couldn't answer in that room. Mm -hmm. They just looked at each other. And so I think we don't understand the role that this person in the middle plays mm -hmm. and that that's not their final destination. Right. In theory, it's not for you. So I love that you brought up the conversation because this is ideal for that person, for that leader that says, hey, listen, I'm, I'm a great manager. I'm great at process. I'm great at procedure. People is the wild card for me. That's the lane that I play in. It won't be process and procedure. That's not my area of expertise. That being said, coming out of COVID in our industry, I've seen a lot of owners, presidents, CEOs of these salon, salons that's where their struggle has been because now more than ever, they've had to influence people. I have to influence people to come back to work. I have to influence people to come back against your health concerns, against your financial concerns, against your freedom concerns. Yet they were proficient at managing before. Right. The new scout skills, uh, skills uh, required is leadership and this influence. And we talked about this before, and I hope you don't mind me bringing nope. up. The people can't hear all of our conversation before you go live, but this part I think will be okay, is that my observation 
And I, if I had one thing that I could include in the book, mm. it would be this. As leaders, the non-negotiable, the imperative skill set is empathy, sympathy, and respectfulness. Because I don't care what leadership program you're operating off of that you've learned that you're proficient at. If you do not possess these three skill sets, and by the way, I said skill set, it's not an attribute. You can learn to be empathetic, or at least you can learn the behaviors of it. You can learn to be sympathetic, and you can certainly learn to be respectful. And so empathy is, it's really being open to a perspective or thinking other than your own. If I just stop like right there, how... Can you imagine the cohesiveness and collaboration that would exist if people would just start off there? Mm-hmm. What's your perspective on the situation? How do you define that? Doing that, you could potentially develop the empathy that you need for that situation. Mm-hmm. And then sympathy to show the actions. And so it may show up in flexibility. I, I don't know how it's going to show up. The point is, is once you shift your thinking, about the sympathy, the behaviors like the sympathy will come. The one that we we just as a society, it's, we're deficient. We are deficient is being respectful. Not to people that we respect. We we struggle there too, not so much. It's for the people that we don't respect. Mm -hmm. If we don't respect their financial decisions, if we don't Uh, respect their political decisions, their sexual orientation, their religious beliefs, somehow it's become acceptable. I don't have to be respectful to you. As a culture, it's, it's eroding us leadership. It's dramatic. It's, it's unprecedented, right? Mm -hmm. It's eroding our influence. You know, that it real, that just brings up a question for me about hairstylists in general and and john i mean i'm going to go straight to the back room for Mm -hmm. a second and and john has a great term that actually has been adopted company-wide the word silly Mm -hmm. for years and years and years we've heard hairstylists complain about a crazy client somebody they're not and john would will always you know correct them i'll correct you right there right (laughs) and and everybody's laughing no she's just silly she's just being silly and The point what he's trying to do is is basically illustrate the fact that you can't be in the back room talking about this woman that's sitting in your chair, and then you're going to go back out and fake, you know, put on a fake show. And and I've noticed that over the past couple of years, you, you really have worked hard to get people to change the way that we, I guess, talk about people. And it's this is all coming back to respect for me. I guess I've always been, um, or I, the way I happened to be brought up was, God, I would never walk into the back room and call somebody a name, you know, that's sitting in my chair. I'd go, she's having a bad day, or this is tough, or I guess I just want to ask a question around not only in leadership, uh, and you're kind of pointing at society in general, how do we correct this I want to. I love yeah, your question, yeah. and I want to add to it because I want to give Jay lots to talk about. Yeah. Why are some people attracted to disrespectful leaders? I don't know. Next question. <laughs> why, can't, why can't you guys give me the easy questions? You give everybody else the easy questions. Here's, here's, 
It's a great question because I think we have to understand. Here's my goal. And one of the things I loved about what John did, if I could break it down, I was watching um, this podcast or listening to it while I was working out. This guy broke down J Dave Chappelle's comedy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just clinically, here's what he did. So um, I've been drawn to that approach. So I want to break down what you did is when John took, you know, people said, oh, this client's driving me nuts. They're crazy. What John realized and quickly was, and this is leadership, is let me shift your thinking. I mean, that's instantly what happened because crazy versus silly has two different connotations. You know, when you're dating, when you date someone who's crazy, if there's a little silly, you know, sure, I'll give it a shot, right? So I just was that where I was messing up. <laughs> <laughs> you still, yeah. you were having a hard time yeah. figuring out yeah. the difference between crazy and silly? Yeah. Uh -oh. Yeah, listen, I don't know that we have a clearly defined definition of that. So it's very subjective, right? One person's crazy is another one's silly. So uh, to John's credit, though, as a leader, and this was the idea, is how do we make, uh, how do we sh give this, this better thinking so that we can make better choices and that we can get further faster as leaders? So Andy Stanley, who's actually based out of your guys' area, um, a great leadership speaker um, and he has a podcast where yeah. we're getting leaders further faster and it, it still it has to do with the element of speed and so I go back to what John said is that there, there's two dynamics here is that you can ask why or you can ask what and that's it that's one of the chapters in the book and so as a leader you when you ask a why question it takes someone back in time in this problem Focus. So if I just simply said, why are you late? You go, oh, when I got home last night, I was really tired. I laid down, then my battery died on my phone. By the time I woke up, I had charged the battery and then we're going to meet for day. Have you guys ever had those conversations? Go, oh my God, why did I even ask this? That was you. You triggered the brain when you said why to go back in time, problem focus. Now, if I asked you what needs to happen going forward so you're on time, person goes, you know what? Nights that uh, I'm not going to go out on nights that I have to open the next morning. Do you see how short, how productive, how energized? Yeah. So to John's credit, you know, instead of going, well, why would you say that? And why would you do that? He immediately looked to shift their thinking because if he could shift their thinking, he would shift their emotions. The way I feel about wacky and silly are two different things. Mm -hmm. And now we can have a conversation about that your thinking and your emotions. Now, John could have skipped ahead to the behavior and go, you know what, you shouldn't talk about people that way. This is where you make your money. But he would not have shifted the thinking and the emotions of that person. So you get, listen, I'm not here to convert anybody, but for anybody's faith base, you know, Jesus said, hey, you know, they said, hey, you're hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors. He goes, hey, a doctor's here to help the sick, right? Right. But he shifted your thinking that quickly. And so, John, uh, I don't know that I'm equating you to Jesus, but somehow you wound up in the same sentence with him. Yeah, that happened often. <laughs> it's the beard. Yeah, wow. I'll make connections you guys never had. So in any event, when we go back, the respectfulness, here's what I would encourage you to do. A counselor would ask a why question because they're trying to diagnose, which we could do on this call. For the purpose of the leaders and that skill set, I want you to ask what questions. So with that person who is disrespectful, I'd ask them, what needs to happen going forward? 
-hmm. So you see that as an opportunity to make someone's day. Mm -hmm. I just like share with me and what you're doing as a leader, because what we fall into as leaders is counselors. Does this sound familiar? Coaches, consultants Mm -hmm. for them. We're a consultant. You have a problem. You ask me and I solve it. Mm -hmm. And so the counselor part is where I want to help people. One of the things in our industry is we encourage that. Oh, come in. Why did that happen? Oh, tell me about, right? You go to corporate America. Nobody's talking about, if you do, you go to one department. What department is it? HR. HR. Right. So, but again, that's a strength of our industry and why people are drawn. So what I'm saying, I just want you to be mindful is don't abandon that. I think that's what makes us special. It's just being able to regulate it. So when you get back to respect, there's some other dynamics. And the reason I don't want to go down this path is because we could really spin the call. Um, I do have a great guest for you, but people perceive that lack of of, uh, respect as power, interestingly enough. Right. Yeah. They yeah. perceive it as a, as a power, so which is a great conversation. By the way, I have a great guest for you that could really unwrap that, and I think it's an important topic. Is she related to you? Coincidentally, she lives in Atlanta. <laughs> she is related to me, yes, and I want to get you guys on. Thank you. Um, yes, so it's an important question, and I love that you guys brought it up because I think as a leader, especially in our industry, you got to decide, hey, Am I going to be um, a coach to my person or am I going to be a counselor in this moment? And if somebody's complaining in the back room, it's not like you have 45 minutes. You go, hey, let's lay down on the couch and let's unwrap this. Right. I need that performance. So let me just go back to your thinking. So you go, you know what, Jay, I just got to ask you, you know, it sounds like I'm not validating that's requiring a lot of your energy. What are your thoughts on what you could, you could do, right? Because they can control them. Yeah. to change that person's days. Is that getting them a glass of wine? Is it ordering lunch? Tell me what your thoughts are on what we can do to change the experience for them and for you. One of the buzzwords in, I think, in leadership right now is why, right? What's your why? What's your why? What's your why? Why are you doing this? Why is this important? You know, why? What, what's your you know, motivation? Blah, 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 blah. Um, and yet part of the conversation we're, talk, we're having today is why sometimes it's backward facing, right? It looks at your history. Um, I think a lot of folks, when I'm talking to our managers, they will use that language, right? Because they're trying to coach people, right? So, you know, why, you know, why is it that you want to be a hairdresser? You know, because the thought being is if I understand why you're here, you know, um, why you chose this career, why hairdressing fills you up inside, that I can connect to that and then help you move forward with whatever your goals are. But from reading, you know, from the little bit of research I was able to do before this call, you're really focusing on what, right? And I like that, but I know there's more to it than that. So talk to me a little bit more about maybe the different kinds of whys, right? There's the why that, and you talk about this in one of your chapters, that puts people on the defensive, right? So they have to defend themselves. There's the why that comes from looking back at past behavior and what that feels like. And, you know, we have a new rule in my house, which is anything I've done 10 years ago or more that was really stupid. My wife can't bring it up again. It doesn't work, by the way, <laughs> yeah. but it is, it is a rule. A yeah, grab a pen. Grab a pen. Yeah. Uh, but if, if I ask her, you know, by if the I way, ask. Does she know that's a rule or is that a made up uh, rule that no, you made up? No, it's a real oh, rule. Okay. It's right, a real right. rule. So she agrees with it. No, yeah, she, yeah, doesn't exactly. right. yeah. she doesn't agree. She doesn't agree. What her pushback is, well, stop doing that <laughs> thing you did 10 years ago, right? 
Um, but anyways, there are different whys, you know, and I like what you said about what, not only because I think it sends people in a different thought process, yet I wonder if the conversation with the managers working with their direct reports would be different if they asked, what do you want you from your career? What do you want from hairdressing? What were you hoping to accomplish here in this company? And maybe that's a mindset switch, right? It's a great distinction. And so I, I love that you brought this up and I actually reference it in the book because Simon Sinek, I don't know that there's a more prolific speaker right. and you talk about someone who stretches your thinking. Uh, you know, I realize there's a potential I could be contradicting this guy and like I'm enamored with him, yes. you know, so that, that wasn't the goal. As I listen to him and I read what he writes, I believe that we're talking about two different things. And so his why will serve you well. I talk about pivot versus persevere in the book. Mm -hmm. And his why helps you to persevere through difficult times. And so if you look at, you know, what we've done is that the world's changed, but our mission hasn't changed, like as a salon, right? right? And listen, even with my faith, the world's changed, but my mission hasn't changed. And so the why that Simon talks about is imperative because it's going to help me navigate through the difficult times when I face obstacles. And so in your business, you do have to understand that I am here to change lives. I'm here to make someone's day. And there's someone in our industry that really has built, a, I, I think, a movement on being a day maker. Mm -hmm. And so I think probably brilliantly mm -hmm. identified the why. And so I want to give you an example of where that serves you extremely well. Please. So in a different context, what I talk about why, what versus why, if I'm talking to you and Chris and I go, why were you late? Why didn't you make your sales goals? You're going to pull them down you, a rabbit hole. Yeah, you're going to, well, for, not only are you going to take them down a rabbit hole because it's self-preservation now, the emotional brain hijacks the rational brain, goes, oh my God, this is life or death. And I got to protect myself when that's not really the case. And that's a whole different conversation about the emotional brain, the rational brain. I won't go there, but if you'll trust me, it has the, the capability to hijack your rational brain. Because when you say why you're late, that's not a life or death situation to me. But your brain picks it up right. as a life or death and doesn't differentiate. So one of the things that the leaders are proficient at is taking, instead of saying, why were you late? They'd say, what needs to happen so that going forward, you're on time. If they're not making their sales goal, instead of saying, Chris, why aren't you making your numbers? But say, hey, Chris, I want to get your thoughts on what you need to do differently that would help you not only meet, but exceed your goals. I wouldn't ask you, John, why were you disrespectful in the back room? Right. What's the person going to do? Well, you should have heard what they said to me. And when they, yep. that makes sense. Yep. And what happens in your brain, you have a mirror neuron. What I do to you, you do to me. It's just like looking in a mirror. Mm -hmm. So there's even a greater, um, it's physiologically how we're set up that I'm sharing with you that I'm avoiding some, some pitfalls. So I'm going to model the behavior that I want from you. So when you're in the back room, I hear you be disrespectful. You're going to, you, um, John, you're, I, I'm going to take you to the side and just say, hey, you know what? It seems like something rubbed you the wrong way. Just tell me going forward, you know, what do you, what was your perspective? 
-hmm. and they share it with you. And you go, what do you think the client's perspective was? Because if you as a leader, you got to realize you're not, and Simon Sinek articulated this beautifully, you're not responsible for the results. You're responsible for the people. And what you're responsible for is their thinking. So I way I expand their thinking is to expand their perspective because as human beings, especially, have you guys noticed that people seem excessively narcissistic now? I want to rework my schedule and I want to work more, make more money. We can work Tuesdays. Well, I want to work Tuesdays because Tuesdays aren't convenient. Nobody's going, well, is it convenient for the salon? Is it convenient for business? Yeah, I think the word that we're, we're using internally is, is that people want to change in lifestyle is the word we're using right now, right? Because that lifestyle change, whether I want to work less, whether I want to work different hours, whether what, whatever the changes are, because it, it all depends on the person, we're calling it a lifestyle change. So what we're asking is, what can we do to help support people's lifestyle changes and retain the financial integrity of the company. You know, another thing that I think kind of begs to be brought into this conversation mm -hmm. based on what Jay just kind of questions, and we, we were just on a, another podcast with mm -hmm. Ryan Whedon uh, a few minutes ago, and the, and the question came up from, mm -hmm. you kind of posed the question, has our industry changed? Like, ha have our measurements mm -hmm. Do, they, do we need to make adjustments around what we're measuring? And, and I think from a leadership and management perspective, I, one of, I think that same question could be mm. posed is to where we used to measure, and I'll make something up, so don't, you know, lay, you know hours of productivity. We, we may take lifestyle into a part of our measurements now. We, you know, we may have to because, because of the fact that we all, what we just walked through together it's not like one person has this, uh, this thought. has decided to right. to you know make that change. It's it's been a global shift. People had this pause. People assessed, and one of the things that definitely came out of his lifestyle. So I'm I'm curious just to pose the question of: Is that a new measurement we're going to have to factor into our business models moving forward? And I have a comment to make about your what why mm -hmm. question and Simon uh, Sinek. I believe we've been beating the why drum for a long time. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, Simon Sinek, um, I would say famous that, you mm -hmm. know, but there were there were savvy leaders that already had the, you know, the 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 early adoption of that ideology that right. that it's really your why that drives you over time. I've come to learn that, you know, John and I could be in a conversation and he can pull my why out of me. But if I don't have trust about your leadership, or if I don't think that you've earned the right to be asking me my why, I'm probably not going to give you a truthful answer, or I'm going to give you less, or maybe I'm just going to, ah, oh, well. And so I think it circles back to the trust piece. I, right. I will share my why with a leader that I trust mm -hmm. or a person that I trust. They don't even have to be my, you know, they could be a, a, a coworker. friend, a coworker. Yeah. But, you know, I'm curious about when a leader can't get to a why, and I'm talking about the why now. I'm talking about the, the other one, not in the context of. Why did you do that? Yeah, how to have that conversation. Um, I think if you're having trouble getting to your people's why, it's it's because you, they, they, we could probably go back to that trust piece, right? Which is what you started the book uh, out with. 
Um, Jay, we're, we're 50 minutes into this conversation. I can't believe we are. I wanted to just really? ask the, the yeah. question, um, are there a couple of standout chapters in the book that you have sort of favorited, um, you know, a couple of this versus that that you just feel like really for you um, resonate deeper than others? Wait a minute. Before we answer that okay. question. okay. We, you just developed a bomb of, of stuff. I want to talk about that for a second because I was looking. <laughs> Jay's taking notes. Jay's brain's thinking. I am. I'm trying. Well, I'm trying to capture all your questions. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry. So Thanks. let's go back to that list. So if I can, um, here's what I have: um, new measurements, the whys, and where does trust and why come into place if you can't get them from people? What's the relationship there? So I just want to make sure I was listening and I heard, did I miss anything? And then the last one we will about how, uh, you know, with the chapters, if there's a greater affinity. Yes, resonated so yeah, and it does. And actually it dovetails on something that you said. So I, I'll, with your permission, I'll, I'll respond in that uh, order. So, um, John, I want to go back to something you said, because I feel as though it's a common, it's a reflection of your ability or, or your desire to help people. That as leaders, we say, what can we do to help you with your lifestyle? Does that, and I want to get back to the lifestyle, because I want to pull in sure. everything you said there. And so as leaders, that is not the question that I think presents the greatest opportunity to be successful. Let me put it that way, because as leaders, we have more than ever, we, more than ever, we have more on our plate and we have this magic plate, no matter how much we eat, nothing disappears for it. So I never say to people, what can I do for you? How can I help you? Because I have enough to do. Mm -hmm. What I will ask them if they're talking about their lifestyle I would ask them, what are you willing to give up to get those things that you just asked for? So if you only want to work on odd number days or even number days or however they're making these specific requests, because I want to get their buy-in and their commitment. And the only way this works is if they care more than I do. So I'm very clear with anyone that I work on, I'm all in, just like you guys and probably the people who are listening. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. When I go back and look at it, where it works is where the person I'm working with, their commitment's greater than mine. If you just want me to come in and to inspire and motivate your team and then I leave and they go, yeah, no behavior's really changed. But maybe you were late to the meeting, you didn't show up, you know, whatever the case may be. So I want to get back to that. And if you guys will make an adjustment in your question you ask, and when they talk about the lifestyle, this is the question we have to ask, is what are you willing to give up to get that? There, there's very little play now for us to give and to get. It's not like we have this buffer of cash, time, people, resources. So when people come in with this lifestyle, they want Tuesdays off, and I don't want to make less money. Is that familiar to anybody? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So my question is, is that if you want to give up Tuesdays and you want to give up less money, which is most important to you? If we're going to have a conversation, which is most important to you? Tuesdays or making the same amount of money? I need to help them as a leader with their thinking. I don't need to do their thinking for them. Mm -hmm. I need to help them. 
So that's why I would defer back to it's what you ask. And I'm not asking a question to be disrespectful or, or um, divisive in any way. I, I just don't have the answers as a leader that they have. I'm really here to help them discover what they already know. They know which one's more important, not me. Because I hear owners all the time go, the most important thing my people say to me, the most important thing to them is Work-life balance. Yeah, Work yeah they won't raise their right prices. Right. They won't recommend retail. Yeah. They won't rebook. They won't, right? So that's not true. What's most important is I don't get outside my comfort zone, which I'm not judging you, but let's talk about that versus me helping you making these adjustments. And the bigger your organization, you guys have a pretty big ship to steer. Right for you to constantly make those adjustments. So when you talk about this lifestyle, the new measurements, and if I can, I hope this is a smooth transition because this is what you asked. And um, it's a little bit intimidating your guests before you ask them the question. So if there's a <laughs> better response than me, I would offer this as not a response, but new and different thinking is that if you have this strong foundation and this foundation that I'm talking about is made up of something, like you have a cement foundation for your home. This is made up of your values. So you asked me, what's my favorite chapter? Mm -hmm. It's the last chapter in the book. Mm -hmm. It's not the last chapter because it's the least important thing. Right. Is that if you're making a sandwich, you need two pieces of bread, it's gonna be trust and values. Mm -hmm. So what are the, my metrics as an owner Go back to my values. Mm -hmm. So if collaboration, integrity, honesty are in, listen, there's over 4,400 values. And in the book is the chapter. Let me tell you, I used to do, this used to be a four day workshop when I was doing it at Microsoft. I got this down to a chapter you can read in eight minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's like the concentrate, took all the water out of it. When you're done with that chapter, you'll be able to identify your top three values. Mm -hmm. As an organization, you may have a value of family. Now, the next thing is you have to define them because we've already talked about different definitions right. of family. So when you say what the metrics are, I would go back to your values and then how does that measure up? So if you have this newfound um, lifestyle, how's that match up to our values of education? collaboration, equality, um, altruism. I mean, we could go on and on. And what I share with you as a leader is that I find that leaders are avoiding conversations mm -hmm. because they don't know if they can solve the problem. Mm -hmm. This is what the book is designed to do. Mm -hmm. You're just gonna ask questions because people, it's not common sense, it's common practice. Our people know. I I've met 16 year olds that know. And if people say to you, because people are listening, they're going to go, oh, my people go, oh, I don't know. Here's what you need to find out. You know, Chris, if you said to me, I asked you about this lifestyle change and, you know, what would you be willing to give up to, to get this lifestyle? And you go, well, I don't know. I would ask you, Chris, just so that I know how important is this conversation to you? I need you to think about that. If you come back, you go, ah, it's a five. It's not that important to you. Right, right. If this then is we, we need to start there then. Then why, am, why are we having this conversation if it's only a five? If they go, it's a 10, mm -hmm. then you go, okay, now I know you're committed. How much time would you need to think about this and get back to me? 
do you see as a leader, I didn't have to have the answer there. I'm completely comfortable because what I'm doing is helping them discover what they already know. And I'm doing it via questions, but I realize how the brain works. It's, and this is why I hear so many leadership podcasts and they're all great. Listen, I learn from everybody. I can't even tell you, I don't even know it's an original thought to be honest with you more because I listen so much, but I'm looking for applicability. And so for you now as a leader, if you don't know your values, find them out. It'll allow you to make faster and better and more consistent decisions. So let me give you an example. If you have a value of respect in your culture, mm-hmm. respect, not that it's a, that's a core value. Mm-hmm. And the way that I differentiate between values and core values, I have a value of education. Mm-hmm. I have plenty of buddies that do nothing <laughs> to grow themselves. But you know what? It's not a core value. I'm not going to end the relationship. I have a core value of respect. You violate, violate that, I'll end a job, I'll end a relationship. So yeah. as an organization, I just want to differentiate between the two, but you have a value of respect. Now, when I go in the back room and someone does that, I go, Jay, we have, a, have to have a conversation because what I do need to make clear is not being respectful is a non-negotiable in the culture. Right. So what needs to happen for you right now that you can support this value? You go, I don't agree with it. Tell them that's a separate conversation because people ask, well, do people have to have the same values that I hire? No. How would we get along in the world? There's 4,400. You do need to be, you do need to respect them and be respectful. And that's where we're missing as a society. And when you talk about the tension that's going on, it'll be like sandpaper to your soul when your value, a core value is violated. And so are there new measurements? As long as you're respectful and you support our values, I think that they're going to be consistent. And so, you know, those are just, that's the GWP of this value. If you'll be respectful, it will help with your retention, your referral, your rebooking. People will trust you. Listening to those two questions that you asked, in my head, I can see a leader or manager saying, I can't ask those questions. And, and not because they're incapable, but because they either, A, lack the self-confidence or scary. Fe- they're scary. I haven't earned the right. Pick one. Right. Let's role play. Let's okay. role play for the, for the audience now. Is So you come to me. You've retained me. You've made whatever the investment is. And you say to me, Jay, I can't ask those questions. Jay, I, I can't ask those questions. I think that my staff would look at me cross-eyed. Okay. And punch me in the face. And punch, what, did they punch you? They wouldn't punch me in the face. They like me. (laughs) Well, that's open for debate. I mean, you should do a poll, right? I figure if I put it out into the universe, it'll come true. (laughs) So two little nuances, and I just, listen, there's so much going on in my head. I want to make sure that I'm concisely communicating this. So I want to give you guys out there what's going through my head is that when I hear that, Human beings' readiness level to do something, to ask those questions, is based on two things, willingness and ability. Mm-hmm. So as a leader, I'm trying to determine, I don't want to say, well, John, here's the questions you ask, and then here's how you ask. Because, John, you may go, Jay, listen, I bought the book, I heard you speak, that's not it. I just don't feel comfortable doing it. That's a willingness conversation. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the listening audience and you're wondering what filters I'm using to go through this, I'm looking to determine whether it's a willingness or an ability. Mm-hmm. Now, at some points, I may not know. So when John says that to me, you know, they're gonna look at me cross-eyed, they're gonna 
uh, sucker punch me. And you can write this one down. I'll go, oh, tell me more, John. <laughs> All right. Yeah, just tell me more about that. And it's good, Jay, you know, I can be a little gruff sometimes. Now, now do you see where, now I have direction, I know where to go. And so I would ask you, John, you know, is it what you say? Is it how you say right. it? Or is it when you say it? So for those of you who are listening in, you know, just a simple example is if you yelled at someone on the floor about not getting color on the client, mm -hmm. it's not what you said. I think everybody would agree. Now, if you yelled it, it could be how, and if you did it on the floor in front of the customer and their peers, it could be when. Right. But if you walked up to them and you said, hey, John, I just wanna let you know, um, you're gonna need to be a little bit more mindful or maybe put a devil cape on so you don't get paint. And they go to you, oh, John goes, Jay, I can't believe it. You know what, it just pisses me off when you did that. It wasn't how or what, right. because I did it. It was when I did it. But I could ask you, John, just for future reference, was it what I said, how I said it, or when I said it. And for those of you who are married and trying this with your spouse, you can do it. As long as they didn't listen to this podcast. Yeah. My wife will say, don't try any of that stuff that you learned on a podcast on me. Just don't do it. Well, by the way, you say that jokingly. You know what my wife says to me? I don't need work, Jay. I need husband, Jay. I share this with you guys, whether it's our wives, it's our friends. It can seem like it's a Jedi mind trick. To, to, it goes to your intention, right? Yeah. I mean, it's your intentionality behind yeah. behind where you're going with it. No, 100%. If it, if it's, uh, and I think we do have to watch that because I'll kid with John a lot, yeah. um, you know, about things like that because I'm like, look, those lines don't work on me. I know the line. I, you know. And I've said to him, I don't, I don't know, know what, what you're doing. talking right. about. Yeah. yeah. And so, but there, there is a, you know, I think you do have to make sure as a leader when you're showing up, mm -hmm. you're, you're showing up with your, you know, that you're clean. Am I in a conversation or a conflict? You know, where's our intentionality when we show up? And that's, and that's everywhere, right? So you do, and prior to speaking with people, especially if it's an emotionally charged conversation, you do need to understand, is my intention to get them to go or to stay? And as a leader, we fail in that we do things that don't advance the relationship. Yeah. And you have to use that as a filter. Mm -hmm. And so I talk about praise versus punishment. And again, you're gonna go, come on, common sense. I go a little bit deeper because there are people intentionally or unintentionally who punish, whether it's by yelling, isolating, pulling them out of the mix, not inviting them somewhere and they punish, but it doesn't advance the relationship. And that needs to be the filter and the intention. So if you're gonna sit with someone and you're gonna go, listen, my intention is to help you. And my intention is for you to say, so I just want you to know that I am struggling with the words to say that. So I'm gonna ask for a little bit of margin of error. That's why I'm not a fan of scripting. I believe if I can shift your thinking and your emotions, you'll come up with your own behaviors. You'll figure out how to do that on your own. As long as we're thinking, we're using the same filters to think through things. So John, what you brought up is a valid thing. And the longer that you are a leader for people, the more likely that you could repeat things over and over again. I mean, 
uh, you know, listen, my boys are 24 and 29. You don't think there's, I should say, how many times do you think they've rolled their eyes because they go, dad, we've, we've heard that before. Right, yeah. So that's where you have to differentiate as a leader is what is my intention. And in the moment, you might have to say at the risk of being redundant or it's sounding very cliche, mm -hmm. here's my intention. What happened on the floor was unacceptable. Mm -hmm. My emotions behind it was to literally rip your head and your neck off your shoulders. I love you. That's not what I want to do. I just want to have a conversation now that helps us to prevent this from happening before. I was open, honest, on time with my communications. I'm not encouraging anybody to suppress your emotions. You'll show up differently. What it does to the energy in your body does not work for you. It works against you. And you're not being true. You got to be true to yourself. And I've never asked anyone, so something bothers you if someone speaks in a loud voice or is disrespectful, I would never ask you to abandon that as a leader. I would just wanna give you the mechanism to say, listen, Jay, I gotta tell you that tone of voice, I'm from the South, it, it has a counter effect yeah. on me than you're thinking if you grew up in New Jersey. No offense, Chris, that's right, I thought you would understand. Chris, is, yeah, Chris takes it as a compliment. He missed yeah, it. Yeah, like, that was awesome. Here's what, here's what I, well, the funny yeah. part is I laugh too because yeah. I'm from Massachusetts yeah. and I was like, you know what? Five years ago, I would have said that, yeah. you know? Um, first of all, thank you for your time. Yeah, this has been a great because conversation. Because this has gone way over our, our general time limit, but I don't care. Um, so let's say that. One of the things I picked up from you in the past was outcomes come from your behaviors. Your behaviors come from your thinking. And I think that we're talking a little bit about that today when you talk your about thinking, thinking your, emotions. your choices, leadership. Um, but your thinking comes from your emotions. And, and we talked about that a little bit, but if I'm going, you know, to your, the subtitle of your book, thinking behavior outcomes, right? Thinking I want to choices leader that. Yep. Yep. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all of that. I, I, I see those as comparable yeah. statements, yeah. right? Yeah. We left out the emotion part and is that. I know it's in the chapters, but it's not in the subtitle. Is there a re, you know, tell me more about that because what I'll say is if there's any time that's as emotional of any in our history, it's now. And yet I was surprised that that wasn't, I guess, part of the subtitle is what I'll say. I talk about it in one of the chapters. I want to heavily weight the outcome in my favor. And my experience has been in our industry, here's what happens. We're emotional people. And we wear it on our sleeves. I was just with a company that's all engineers. They're emotional, but they suppress everything. The word emotions, they define has a different, they define it the same, has a different connotation. And during this time, people are like, oh, you, you, you ask any woman, one of the things that can set them off the quickest is you're just being emotional. And yet, and I talk about this in the book, is that there's rational decisions that need emotions tied to it. And there's emotional decisions that need rational decisions. I'm watching uh, Nurse Jackie now, and they have uh, an administrator and she makes decisions that are rational decisions based on the financial implications. Yet Nurse Jackie constantly is giving away free medication because why she's making an emotional decision. And what it needs a combination of the both for a solution for that. And so, I wrestle with this, to be honest with you, because people see it as the soft side. Mm -hmm. 
and, and they minimize the impact of the emotions. And so uh, about four years ago on Showtime, there's a series called Billionaire. I don't know if you saw it. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, yeah. So for those of you who didn't see it, Chris, just give them a, just a brief overview of what the show is. There, there was a, a man that had grown billions. Uh, well, it was called Billions. And, uh, and uh, he basically grew this company in the financial uh, finances, uh, stock trading, really what it was. He, um, there was another man who was a DA, like a district attorney, and his wife was the so psychologist for the billionaire, as well as the wife of the district attorney, and they hated each other. However, they got into an entanglement because both of them were corrupt, and it ended up that they had to ally together um, to avoid getting locked yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Avoid well, you just ruined up. it for anybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but it was a great storyline, mm -hmm. and and I I won't tell the end. No, so but hopefully he did pique your interest there, and that's a great description of it. And you mentioned one of the characters that I drew an affinity for which was that corporate psychologist. The employees yeah. there on average were making million dollar millions. bonuses, right. let alone their millions of dollars in salary. And so I was drawn to that and it kind of paralleled to, yeah, there is an emotional component to people, to humanity. And you're at your best when they're not separate. People go on one person at home, one person at work. The emotions are, they're a gift that we have. And so there's been some isolated studies that they believe that we're the only species that has emotions, yet pigs, I found out last summer, will cry. Who knew? So if anybody who's listening, just bear with me. It is something that makes us unique as a species, our emotions. And people who are empaths know how to use this. Sociopaths, narcissists know how to. Emotions, can they are what they are. It's what you do with them and how you use them. And so I share this with you because I struggled with that. However, if you want to go to science and the physio um, physiological standpoint of how human beings operate in the neuroscience, our thinkings drive our emotions. Our emotions drive our behavior and our behavior drives our performance. Now, I will share with you as I continue to research this topic that there has been some pushback on that now. They're doing work with the Navy SEALs and they believe that your actions, what you do in the moment will drive your emotions. So fascinating. So for anyone who does the research, I, I do wanna put that out there. The other dynamic, that, and this is newer research by the way, the other dynamic where the thinking and the emotions switch where your emotions drive your thinking mm -hmm. is when a value is violated. And when somebody is disloyal to me, I know the reality of like, it doesn't change my life. It's not gonna change my financial. I'm just so upset. And I still can't shift my emotions and my behavior. That's what studies have shown. So if somebody, you can't shift their thinking as a leader, I would want to know their emotions, be able to reference them. If this is part of your culture and when people come on board, you know their values, it's, I advocate the people instead of having a name tag should have their values. I'd know a lot more about you if I knew your values were altruism, education, and generosity than knowing your name is Chris and you're from New Jersey, right? 
So as a leader, I'm looking to see where there's a rub. So John, your question, that was a long-winded answer, but there's a lot of thought that went into it. But I want to heavily weight the outcome in my favor that people who didn't believe this about emotions, that I would get them into the book and into the conversations. It's rare. However, I do encounter people in salons that go, listen, I'm just here to cut hair. I I don't want to know about people's problem. I'm not here to make their, I'm just. And the emotions tie into the emotional intelligence. So in the book, there's a chapter, EQ versus IQ. And unequivocally, people with a higher EQ outperform their counterparts with a higher IQ 70% of the time. So you're, you're going, Jay, where are you going? Let me bring this all in. There's a compelling business case now to be aware of your emotions, to be aware of the emotions of others, to be able to identify an emotion in yourself and others and just your behavior accordingly. Mm -hmm. Science has proven. They've proven with your EQ that every point that you raise it translates to increasing your salary of $1,300 a year. So Chris, you talk about what are things that you want to measure in your culture, you know, flexibility of lifestyle, retention, referral. Those are all gifts with purchase. I would look to measure people's EQ. Now, people go, whoa, IQ, I'm not going to take a job like that. Your IQ, they've done studies on it. From 15 to 50, it's basically the same. There's an exception. I won't go into it right now unless you're terribly interested. However, your EQ can grow and grow and grow. And great leaders know this, understand it, and have a hyper focus on growing the emotional intelligence. That's the crossover with emotional intelligence and EQ. However, uh, uh, um, the masses don't buy into that. And so this time I made a very calculated choice. Let me get you in for what you want and hopefully you'll stay for what you need. Love that, by the way. I think think a I think a lot of the masses haven't been exposed to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 if, if I'm thinking about the mass of people, mm-hmm. when you, even the term emotional intelligence, and I'm not going to ask another question mm-hmm. right now, I'm going to circle us up, but even, even, the, even the term emotional intelligence, I'm always surprised uh, how many people that's well, the first time they've ever heard it, it would be in a conversation where it came out of my mouth and they go, well, what's that? Um, and so I'm, because I think people would, I think it's palpable for people. I think it's palatable mm-hmm. for people. I think it's digestible for the average person and go, oh, I can, I can get that. But, um, but we covered a lot yeah, of great stuff in this conversation. Um, John, I know there's a million things you're pulling away from today. What's, what are you leaving with? Um, I, you know what? There's too much. There's a short version. Uh, I don't want to take away the value from anything else by focusing on something else. I just want to say thank you, Jay. I, I, what I want to take away from this is a level of gratitude from the time that you took, from what you've been so generous to share with not only us, but our industry as a whole. So what I'm taking away from this podcast is gratitude. So thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and Jay, um, for our listeners, again, I, I know we maybe mentioned it in the front end of the podcast, but that feels like a while back. Tell us again how to find you, how to connect with you. We want to hook up and learn more from Jay Williams. Yeah, I would love that. So for you guys, if it's the book, This Versus That, you can simply go to thisversusthatbook.com and it'll take you right there to the book. If you want to know more, you can go to Jay Williams Co. at jaywilliamco.com. And that'll introduce you to me. It'll connect you to me. 
the topics that I'm passionate about, where I see opportunity in this world to, to supercharge your leadership would be around emotional intelligence. It would be around values. And so as you look there on, on uh, the website and, and you develop questions there, just feel free to reach out. I mean, I don't wanna overwhelm you with everything, but if you're, if you're saying, hey, what are my takeaways? What are my action items? What am I gonna dig deeper into? Values, trust, and emotional intelligence. Those are the three things. If there's no other takeaway, just do a Google search. You don't need to spend much time on any of them. Or you can buy the book. <laughs> and you'll get all of that in there and leave your mark. Also, these books were designed. So leave your mark um, would be great for your stylist. So if you guys are, and this sounds kind of salesy, but bear with me. It's just what people shared. They're using it for Christmas gifts for their teams. They're using it as a, a book club. They're using it for an onboarding training. And John, you've, I, I don't know how many students we put through at the school. I think it was a couple of hundred after a few years of this and people have actually written back the nicest things about it being a foundation. So my gift won't be knowledge. I just want to tell you ahead of time, um, there's never been that access for free that there is. If I do have a gift, it'll be new, different and deeper thinking that you can use, that you can replicate and that you can teach to others. Thank you, so thank you guys. And by the way, you guys may not take this in, but if you wrote a book 10 years ago and you're trying to promote it and get the word out, these venues didn't exist. So um, it, it's, it's mutual what you guys do to expose people to your audience. And you know, for you guys who are very selective, who with who you, well, me being the exception, but that's what <laughs> friends are for, right? That's what friends are for. So thank you for what you guys do because it's a lot of unpaid time put this in research edit so i'm sure i'm speaking for all the guests we get something out of it too so thank you well, we appreciate it every time we have one of these conversations i walk away with a little bit more than i knew before i came in and i love that about these podcasts yeah it's amazing uh, we also walk away with a lot of gratitude to our listeners. You know, we, we, are watching those listens go up there. We, we hate to ask, but we know there's a few things we need to ask for. I don't hate asking. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Hey, for those of you who haven't heard me ask before, five star reviews. You got the phone in your hand. It's down by your lap. I don't care where it is, but it's not that far away from you. Five star reviews. You know you want to do it. You know you love this podcast. Share it with the world because every time you create a five-star review, an angel gets its wings. <laughs> Did you know that? Yeah. And while that angel is getting his wings, it helps us move up, um, you know, and helps us get more noticed in the podcast world, helps share the message. And if you're really being served by this, which we hope you are, um, you know, we'd love for you to share that with some other salon owners. The other thing we're going to ask you to do is to follow us on Instagram at 124.go as well as Facebook. We're going to get more active on our Facebook page. And so if you're a Facebooker, then uh, follow us on Facebook at 124.go. And um, if you're a grammar, please tag us in your stories and we'll do the same uh, in ours. So thanks again for listening, everybody. We will see you on the next episode. Bye. <laughs>